We have seven of our grandchildren that live within just a few miles of us, and two others that live about three hours, a little over three hours away, and then five live about a thousand miles away. So we got to see the ones that live about three hours from us over the weekend. We got to go to the older grandson's uh, soccer game. Uh, would have gone to the younger grandson's game, but that got canceled uh, because it had been raining for days and the field was wet. And we went to an escape room, uh, the red door, and just really had a good time. We made it out with seven minutes to spare. Uh, we got to eat lots of good food, played games, uh, just uh, talking with our son and daughter-in-law and our two grandchildren and find out where her grandsons are and what's happening in school and, and friends that they have and, and all and what's happening in their church and just enjoyed their company. I'm so glad that God made us different from all the other animals. You know, I, I don't think a skunk goes to visit their grandkids. You know, an older cow doesn't enjoy hanging out with a calf that it maybe gave birth to, or maybe one of them it gave birth to and gave another one now a couple of generations away. You know, and baby birds don't go back to visit generations before them. You know, God always knows what he's doing, and he always does the right thing. And I think in the way he structured us as a family, he certainly hit a home run. And his word shows us that he had this family thing figured out even before the beginning. Now, Jesus called God his father and invited us to do the same. He referred to us as his brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have the family that we do. You know, our three sons and our daughter and their spouses uh, know the Lord, are involved in churches, and just um, praise the Lord for the way he had that figured out long, long ago. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that you always are on top of everything. You always know what's best. And I just praise you for that. Because if you left it up to us, it would get messed up, I'm sure. But, Lord, not with you. So, Father, I just um, give you thanks for the example of family that we see in your word. So as we look at your word today, let's just see how you um, keep on meeting our needs and keep on blessing us over and over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen. Has God blessed you just enough or maybe more than enough? That is what I want to look at in this message. I know that financially there are many who are hurting, especially since March of last year in 2020. Uh, a lot of people lost jobs or had their hours maybe cut way back. Uh, businesses closed, you know, a lot of small businesses just couldn't make it. Uh, some people just totally lost their business. You know, they had, you know, everything tied up in that business. 
And, you know, now that we see the costs are going up uh, for gas, and when gas, diesel prices go up, then it costs more to get stuff shipped. So that's reflected in the stores for us. And, you know, sometimes we just kind of think, you know, wow, it's really not going to work out here. But at the same time, I drive down the street and I see many signs we're hiring. You know, imply within or imply on Indeed or imply at this website or whatever it might be. You know, and I've talked with people that say, well, I, I'm making more on unemployment than if I were to get, you know, some job in some fast food place or whatever. And so, you know, well, why work? You know, some people collect unemployment and welfare benefits and sit on the street corner uh, and, you know, looking for handouts. And, you know, our, our country seems to be kind of spiraling down in a lot of ways. Uh, the generations that are coming up don't have the, the work ethic of generations before them. Well, this is what Paul tells us in Second Thessalonians 3, verses 7 through 12. And this is from the NIV says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't, excuse me, because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. I like the way the message puts verse 11. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. I think we see way, way too much of that in our country, and I'm sure around the world. But in the message, it's telling it like it is. Okay, and... It doesn't have to be that way because in Philippians 4.19, New Living Translation says, In this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches that have been given to us through Jesus Christ. God has promised, promised to meet all of our needs. And God doesn't break promises. Instead, he gives us more than enough. So let's take a look at that. Okay, 1 Kings 10 tells us about a really rich man. Okay, so just bear with me with this. It says, each year Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia, 
and the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, which weighed more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, which weighed nearly four pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a huge throne, decorated it with ivory, and overlaid with fine gold. The throne had six steps and a rounded back. There were armrests on both sides of the seat, and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. There were also twelve other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could be compared with it. All of Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made of silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships of Tarshish that sailed with Hiram's fleet. Once every three years, the ships returned loaded with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. Well, to put King Solomon's gold into today's value, listen to this. Sixty trillion dollars. Not sixty million, not sixty billion, sixty trillion dollars. And in verse 14, it said each year Solomon received this. Now, Solomon inherited a kingdom, but he just continued to add to it, making it greater and himself richer. I don't know about you, but I inherited no kingdom. Actually, I inherited nothing. My wife received a little bit of an inheritance from her parents' death. but And I certainly have no kingdom now. But I do have all that I need and even more than enough. Let's take a stroll through the book of Proverbs to see what we find there about the rich. Sometimes the rich are seen favorably. Other times, eh, not so much. Okay, in 13.7, I, I believe these are all from the New Living Translation. It says, some who are poor pretend to be rich. And others who are rich, they pretend to be poor. Now, you may be familiar with some people like these. Okay, I remember a neighbor that we had, and he was quite well off. He had a nice big house. Uh, he, he collected at that time Model T cars and old cars from around that era. Uh, he had a, a cottage over on the lake, not too far. And so he was doing he was doing pretty well. But to talk to the guy, man, you'd think he was having to, to go out on the street corner and beg because, you know, he certainly wasn't pretending to be poor. 
He wasn't acting like he was rich. So we know some people too that are poor and you know they they want you to think that they have a lot more than they do and sometimes they spend their money rather foolishly okay and then going to 10-4 this is lazy people are soon poor hard workers get rich this generally is the case but we also see some lazy people that somehow they live quite well. You know, maybe they inherited, you know, what they have. And maybe, you know, what they do, you know, didn't uh, take them a long time to get where they are. You know, I know one man where we uh, were serving, uh, he was my age, no, he was younger than me. He was probably about 10 years younger than me. And he didn't have a job. He had made a lot of money off the stock market. I don't know what he had bought and sold that he made big bucks, but he made enough that he would never have to work again. And he didn't have a, a regular job. He, you know, did different things, in short order for people, but, um, you know, he was living pretty well. And we see some folks that, man, they work hard, hard, hard all their lives, and they have little to show for it. Now, sometimes that can be a reflection of the lifestyle that they've chosen, and, you know, they haven't, you know, used their finances wisely. Okay, 1823, the poor plead for mercy and the rich answer with insults. This is an attitude that I think I often have about people that have a lot of money. And I know, I know I'm wrong because that means I'm judging. And <laughs> the message this past Sunday was about pride. You know, I'm better than you is one kind of pride. So I hear some rich people are that way, that, you know, they act like they're better than anybody else because of the money that they have and the things that they have. And so it's easy for you and I to maybe stereotype them. When I was growing up, I think I was about 14 my parents bought this small motel, 10-unit motel that was on the main road and just opened from like April to October. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a way to make extra money, really. And sometimes I would be in charge. My folks would be gone, and so I would be in charge. And... <laughs> Normally for a double room, we would call it, a uh, room that had a double bed rather than two twin beds, uh, we would charge $7. Okay, this tells you how long ago that was. And so if somebody drove in looking for a room and they had a Cadillac or maybe a Lincoln, something, I'd charge them $8. Okay, and, you know, I thought... Man, they can afford it. They can afford that car. 
they can afford to pay us an extra buck. So I guess it really kind of makes me the bad guy in that. But this neighbor that I talked about, uh, the husband and wife were completely different. He was just a, a good old boy. And, you know, it was just a, a lot of fun to be around and all. But his wife, she acted the rich part. And, you know, I struggled with that over the years. Or maybe more closely, she struggled with me <laughs> over the years. But I won't go there. Proverbs 14, verse 20. The poor are despised even by their neighbors, while the rich have many friends. You know, we often see this at any stage of life. Okay, the rich kid in school. You know, a lot of kids want to be his friend because, you know, he's maybe got a pool at his house or, you know, he, he goes to the movies a lot or does things that, you know, if you're his friend, you get to do them and it doesn't cost you anything because you're his friend. You know, the, the rich guy at work, you know, he's got friends because, you know, everybody just thinks he's a nice guy. Uh, they don't really think he's a nice guy, but because he's got money, yeah, I'll put up with him. And even at church, you know, the rich guy can be kind of lifted up more than others. Uh, not saying it's because they give more, because maybe they don't give as much as some others do. But um, they they seem to have a, a different role in the church because of their financial status. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a story about the prodigal son. Well, in verse 13 in the King James, it says, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now, it doesn't tell us a whole lot about this riotous living, but I know I never lived a life of riotous living, but I can imagine that you don't do that alone, okay? That you got people that are wanting to hang out with you because you're living riotously. And so you, you think that, um, you know, you're going to kind of go along for the ride. But apparently, after his money was gone, so were the other riotous livers. Because he had nowhere to go. In verse 14, it says, he began to be in want. So when the money flows, your circle of friends grows. But when the money's gone, so are your friends. And they weren't really friends at any point when you were rich or when you were not. I really like the next proverb because it's how believers should look at the rich. This is 16.8. Better to have a little, excuse me, better to have a little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. Now, it's not saying that all rich people are dishonest. 
and it's not saying that all dishonest people are rich. Because I know some very honest, rich believers. There was a couple in one of the churches where we served that they had a lot of money. Okay, they built this huge house right on the water. And they had, a, a, I think, a couple hundred acres in a huge uh, waterfront to that acreage. And, you know, they were just a, the nicest people, giving people, you know, always helping out in any way that they could. And they were just really good folks. But I've known some very dishonest, poor non-believers, uh, not trying to judge, but, you know, there were just some families of people that they're just kind of shady, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, a lot of them have been in and out of jail different times. Uh, sometimes, you know, they were in jail where they're brothers or their cousins or their parents and you know just sometimes that's just the way it works out and I like this proverb because I see it in some people Proverbs 23 verse 4 says don't wear yourself out trying to be rich be wise enough to know when to quit. Some people work two, three jobs. They work all the overtime that they can get. They work on the weekends. You know, they, they miss their, their kids' school plays and baseball games and, uh, you know, whatever else that their kids may be involved in because they're just too busy working. And it's not because they have to do it to meet their needs. You know, they're not struggling there. They have everything they need, but they're just trying to get rich. And at the same time, some of these people live rather foolishly and they're wasting their money. And, you know, they maybe make poor investments. You know, they're ready to jump on any get rich quick scheme that comes along. You know, they buy a, a house that, you know, looks pretty good, but then find out the foundation is cracked or, you know, whatever else is wrong with it. They buy cars that, you know, they seem to be running pretty good, but they they just kind of mess up and, you know, the car ends up in the junk. And there was a tale of two schools, I want to tell you. There was these two small towns, they each had their own school, their own school district, I guess. And they decided to merge many years ago. And so they were left with these two small schools in each small town because they built a big new school in between the two. Well, I mean, these schools were small. They maybe had 150 kids, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade in each one. And so, you know, they weren't all that big. But in the one town, I don't know who it was, but somebody bought it and they made apartments out of this 
school. And what they did was they got one apartment done and rented it out. Then they worked on another apartment and they got that apartment all done and rented it out. Then they worked on another apartment and got that done and rented it out. Well, the school in the other town, these two families went together and they bought it and they tried to do the whole thing at once. Okay, they, they tried to make all the apartments. And so they're working on all these apartments at one time, you know, kind of, they were all at the same stage most all of the time. Well, they ended up running out of money and they ended up losing everything. And, you know, at one point, you know, it was getting vandalized and, you know, things were happening there that shouldn't be happening. And then it ended up getting torn down because poor decisions were made. Well, this proverb can go along with Proverbs twenty-eight, twenty-two, because it says, greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't really know that they're headed for poverty. Now, I'm not saying that anyone that was involved in those two apartment school projects was being greedy. Okay, they just wanted a good thing, but they maybe didn't go about it the right way. Okay, how about Proverbs 18.11? The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. And, you know, this is true in, in some ways because people that have money, they can afford security systems and bodyguards and actual walls or fences. But it takes more than these things to be defended. You know, like the Holy Spirit, because there's no better protection than the Lord watching over his children. And then Proverbs 28, 11. Rich people may think they are wise, but a poor person with discernment can see right through them. Okay, four important words there. Poor person with discernment. Okay, many poor people are just kind of mesmerized by the rich. You know, entertainers, which is a term that I use loosely. Um, athletes, politicians, you know, they, they idolize these people to a point of worship almost. And they think whatever a rich person says is the only right thing. And whatever a rich person wears, well, that's the clothes that they need to have. And whatever a rich person drives, well, they got to have that. And what a rich person eats or drinks, that's what they need. Well, when they think those things, they think that they're going to at least look rich. But the poor get poorer in trying to act this out. Well, here's one we can all learn from. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me to never tell a lie. That's a good one. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. 
Okay, there has to be a balance in our lives when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff. Kind of like how much is enough? How much is too much? And am I letting my money, my stuff, control my life or am I controlling it? When we find that we're not in control, it's time to assess the situation and to get back in control. Or we find ourselves on the other end of that, not having what we need. Well, if you don't have what you need, you don't need to become a thief because there's assistance that's available because God wants to meet our needs and he will show you how that can be done. Most any church will help you out or send you in the right direction to get the help that you need. Last proverb, Proverb 22, 2. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. Amen. We have all been created in God's image, and he has shown us that being rich is not a sin. David, Solomon, many in the Old Testament, you know, we read about Jacob and, you know, all the flocks and herds and everything that he had, you know, being rich or poor doesn't make you a good or a bad person. You know, it's your character that does that. So let's move on to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is teaching about money or possessions. In verse 24, it's talking about not being able to serve God and money. Verse 25 to 30 is about having enough clothes or food so I want to look at verses 31 through 33, where Jesus says, So don't worry about these things, saying, what will, we, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. All right, let me look at one last thing. Psalm 50, beginning in verse 8. God is speaking to his people, and he says, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you constantly offer, but I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. When I put this into perspective, I feel pretty small, rather insignificant, and it makes you really humble. God doesn't need me. Okay, but I know that I'm lost. I'm dead without him. And so I'm the one that needs God. I'm the one that needs to be blessed by him. I certainly can't bless him. So God has blessed us with more than enough. Enough that I can be generous in sharing it with others. So what I see as more than enough is really just right. Let's pray. Father, 
I just give you thanks for your word. I thank you for the message that it still has for us today, even though it was written hundreds, thousands of years ago. And so, Lord, I just praise you that it's still relevant in so many, many ways. So, Father, help us to see that you have given us more than we need. And you've done that so we can share with others, not so we can pile it up and just to hang on to it, but to be the generous servants that you've called us to be. So, Father, I know that my brothers and sisters and myself, that we struggle with this sometimes. So, Lord, help us to, to realize what you've done and why you have done it. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening to this that doesn't know you. It's never made a commitment to you. And that maybe right now you're speaking to their hearts that now's the time. You know, they, they may have gone to church long ago and got turned off by whatever and haven't been back. Maybe they uh, have never been in a church. And somehow they just kind of stumbled on this today. So, Lord, we know that it wasn't an accident. We know that you directed them here. So, Father, I just lift them up to you. And Lord, let them pray a prayer, something like this, to begin that relationship. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And you gave me that Savior in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to give me new life. Father, I give you my life. And I ask you to just direct me and guide me through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.